0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's October 11th.
0: Virtual societal warfare is a new category of cyber aggression that involves a wide range of tactics. Here are a few examples. Deploying classic propaganda on social media. Generating massive amounts of authentic-looking, fabricated video. And hijacking virtual and augmented reality systems. What's the goal of this kind of aggression? In many cases, it's not to cause physical harm. Instead, attackers use it to sow confusion and accelerate society's loss of confidence in major social institutions. And, according to a New Rand report... These emerging forms of aggression represent a significant danger to advanced democracies. They may be the new frontier of aggression. The report explains a few key characteristics that define virtual societal warfare, provides three scenarios for how it could affect societies over the next decade, and it also begins to lay out a path to help democracies protect themselves against its worst effects. Because this threat is so new, and because so much about it is unknown, the authors conclude that more research is urgently required to better understand the problem. A list of additional near-term recommendations includes taking seriously the leading role played by social media in this threat, and better understanding the workings and vulnerabilities of emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, virtual and augmented reality, and algorithmic decision-making.
1: Domestic debates in Iran play a critical role in framing, molding, and selling foreign and security policies. But the nuances of these debates are often overlooked in the U.S., getting lost in a busy news cycle or being drowned out by the regime's bombastic rhetoric. In a new Rand paper, Arian Tabatabai details why understanding Tehran's domestic debates is crucial to Washington developing a realistic policy toward Iran. It's important to follow both areas of consensus and division among Iranian elites, she says. Areas of consensus indicate regime red lines, whereas disagreement and tension within Iran could offer points of leverage for U.S. negotiators, and could potentially be opportunities for future compromise. Tabatabai points out some of the areas that appear to be most conducive for compromise. They include the technical details of Iran's missile program, Iran's regional activities, particularly in countries deemed less essential to national security, such as Yemen, and increased transparency in the Iranian economy.
0: Last week, a judge in Philadelphia ruled that a nonprofit's plan to open a supervised consumption site did not violate federal drug laws. We've discussed supervised consumption sites, also called safe injection sites, on previous episodes of the show. These are designated spaces where people who use heroin and other drugs can be supervised by medical professionals. Some jurisdictions have explored them as a way to help reduce the alarming number of opioid-related overdose deaths in the U.S., especially those involving fentanyl. Fatal overdoses involving synthetic opioids like fentanyl have increased dramatically, from approximately 3,000 in 2013 to more than 30,000 in 2018. The supervised consumption site in Philadelphia would be the first such facility to open in the U.S. Recently, RAND experts released a report highlighting the idea that some out-of-the-box policy responses, including supervised consumption sites, merited consideration to address the synthetic opioid crisis. And they also wrote a commentary outlining the options federal policymakers have in dealing with the legality of these sites. Federal policymakers don't have to choose between a crackdown on supervised consumption sites or changing federal law to allow them to operate, they say. There are middle ground options, one of which is to follow the federal response to states that have legalized marijuana. In other words, the Department of Justice could use its discretion to shape how supervised consumption sites operate and where they're located.
1: Research on the effects of gun laws requires good data on when and where different types of laws have been implemented. To help illustrate this information, RAND researchers developed a new online tool. You can use the interactive timeline to see which U.S. states since 1979 have enacted four types of laws. Background checks, concealed carry, stand-your-ground laws, and child access prevention laws. You can also download RAND's complete state firearm law database. The tool is part of our Gun Policy in America initiative, which seeks to provide objective, factual resources for policymakers and the public on the effects of gun laws, with the ultimate goal of developing fair and effective gun policies. RAND will be updating this tool as more data becomes available. You can check it out by going to rand.org slash gun policy.
0: India and Pakistan... Both declared nuclear-armed states continue to struggle to normalize relations and to reduce tensions along their shared border. One important, yet sometimes overlooked, potential flashpoint is the ongoing discussion over shared water resources and air quality. A new RAND report explores this issue of shared environmental resources, finding that it could continue to stress the relationship between the two nations. But evidence also shows that coordination on some key issues could yield positive results. One opportunity is India's planned hydropower facilities in the Indus River Basin, which may affect downstream flow into Pakistan. Another area is agricultural burning, which contributes to air pollution in both countries. Notably, the authors say that cooperation on these water and air management issues could also extend into other areas.
1: Russia's use of information warfare and its military arsenal make it a formidable U.S. opponent. But Moscow also has many vulnerabilities. In a recent RAND congressional briefing, experts looked at what policies the U.S. could adopt to stress Russia's military, its economy, and the regime's political standing both at home and abroad. They found the two most promising measures were in the economic domain, expanding U.S. energy production and intensifying sanctions – Here's Rand senior economist Howard Schatz. Expanding energy
0: production would increase global supply, decrease prices, and therefore decrease revenue coming to Russia for its budget and for its overall economy. There are a number of further things we can do with sanctions. One is to broaden them. So sanctions right now mostly apply to oil, to some financial institutions, to people, and to defense and intelligence industries. We could broaden the sectors that are covered by sanctions. Uh, The the other area is deepening them. For example, in energy, they mostly apply to deep water, to shale, and to Arctic, but we can extend those further throughout the Russian energy industry. So there are uh, things we can do. These will have costs as well on U.S. companies and European companies if we do them.